Well, we're going to jump in and get started today, and I'm excited uh, about this new series called Yes, I Can. Somebody say, yes, I can. And if you're a Husky, say, no, I can't. Come on. Mm. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. Yes, I did. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to jump in today. I'm so excited about this brand new series. We're talking about moving from this idea of no, I can't to this, this vision of yes, I can. Because when you've got the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, as the scriptures say, living on the inside of you, there's resurrection life. Come on. There's power, and God wants to put a new spirit, a new mindset in us that we can be who God has called us to be, that we can do what he's called us to do. So that's what we're talking about today. Amen. Well, we're going to jump in. How many of you have ever faced an impossible challenge or something that felt impossible, like you really couldn't do it? And I wanted to bring um, my impossible challenge to you today and just show you. This is a, a thrilling read. It's called Integrative Theology. And it says three volumes in one, praise Jesus. And I remember in Bible college, I was doing a theology class and I got my books via the mail and I, I saw the cover of this book and I thought, man, that looks exciting. No, I didn't think that. I thought that looks boring. Uh, and I remember ordering the book and when the U-Haul, uh, or not U-Haul, but uh, FedEx came and they had to bring a, a semi truck and a forklift to actually unload this book and drop it off at my house. And then it cracked the concrete when it landed on the... <laughs> the porch. I was a little bit nervous. I mean, I don't know if you can quite see this uh, from where you sit, but this is one of those kind of books that you could actually kill someone with. Not by hitting them, actually by making them read it. They'll die of old age before they finish. And uh, I want to read you guys a little, a, little, uh, a little passage here just to bless your spirits, little hearts today. This is the kind of, and it's four columns. Can you see that? So you're like, not only is it mean because it's so long and big and boring, but it's also mean because it's small print in four columns. Uh, I wanted to read you guys this, this just beautiful passage from page 224. Uh, I think this is where it was. Um, it says, God inherently knows not only all actualities, but all, also all future contingencies, i.e. yet unrealized events. Okay, no, I'm bored. Let's see. The word volitionally, I don't even know what that word is, but that's over here. God is free to execute his purposes. Anyways, you're bored already. I'm bored. I couldn't even find the place I wanted to read to you guys. It's so boring. Anyways, this, I got this book. Oh, it said radical eminentalism. I just saw that right there. Anyways, this book showed up and I had to get through it in not like a whole year, but in three months for a class. And I just remember being so daunted, like, what am I going to do? Matthew, you remember this? And I would just, kind of, this book, I just would kind of set it down and I would just sort of stare at it because it felt like an impossible task. Now, at the time, one of the things I really like to do is I like to get on Xbox Live and play Halo uh, Reach. This was, you know, it was like a thing I like to do. So I decided I'm in my, you know, graduate program and I, I need to read. Every time I read 10 pages of this book, which is like 100 pages of any other book, uh, I, would, I would reward myself and play some video games. And so that's how I actually took it on, is I'd read 10 pages or, or maybe a little bit more. Sometimes I would go farther, and then I would uh, play some video games, and that's how I got through it. But it felt like an impossible challenge. And if any of you want to test yourself before you wreck yourself, you could have that book free of charge. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I use it. It's like a trophy. It's like people. some people hunt, and they put like animal heads on their wall. I put books like this on my bookshelf. <laughs> You want a piece of me? You want to talk about radical eminentalism? Let's do it today. Well, we're not going to talk about radical eminentalism today. We're going to talk about 
Uh, yes, I can. And I'm excited. And how many of you enjoyed last week talking about, I can be who God's called me to be. I can be who God's called me to be. We talked about the fact that if God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny, right? And so today we're going to talk about that next piece of this, the unleashing of destiny. And today's message is called, Yes, I Can Do What God's Called Me To Do. You know, there's a famous passage of scripture. It's Philippians 4, 12 and 13. And it's the apostle Paul. And he said, and you've heard it before, but he says, I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to, to be brought down low. I know how to have a bad day. And I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says right here, and this is the one that you've heard, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, how many of you are like, amen? We hear that verse. We're excited. I can do all things through Christ. And this sounds great when you're a football player, right? What's your, what's your life verse? I've had so many concussions, I can only remember one. It's Philippians 4.13. And they put it on their face paint, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't know that God really is intervening in the outcome of football games. Yesterday, maybe. <laughs> but you hear, it sounds great. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You hear it in the football players. You hear it at youth camp, right? You go to youth camp and they're like, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Well, Paul's actually talking about suffering, but we're going to leave that aside. But Paul is talking about going through hard things that we can overcome by the power of God. But the, the point is here, though, that with God, through Christ, you can do everything that God has called you to do. And again, it sounds great from football players on TV. It sounds great at youth camp. But what about those moments and times when you face challenges that are way outside of your capacity to accomplish? And maybe the, the challenge for you of doing what God has called you to do is not even something that you're fully aware of, but you struggle even now with a feeling of inadequacy. You struggle with the feeling of being too small, too weak, too whatever to accomplish what God has called you to do. But I want to remind you, like we said last week, if God gets a hold of your identity, if he can unlock that, he can unleash your destiny. And so we're going to move forward in the story that we began last week talking about David where he was anointed king of Israel and God was beginning to unlock his identity. So we're going to pick this up and we've got a lot of scripture to get through today, but it's exciting and it's going to be a pretty awesome story. And so I'll read fast and uh, get you out of here on time. How's that sound? But I'm excited about this. So let's pick up the story. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we, we talked about last week how David was anointed king of Israel and the normal progression is when people get anointed king, like you'd think, well, then he goes to the palace and he, he shows up and he knocks on Saul's door and he's like, Saul, I'm the new king. There's a new sheriff in town. He's like, Saul, old and busted, David, the new hotness. But that's not what he does. He actually just goes right back to his field. You see, God might put his anointing and his hand on your life and call you to great things. How many of you have ever received a prophetic word where Somebody gets a word from the Lord or a prophet and they pray for you and they give you great words and they prophesy about your destiny. Anybody? You know, we, we, we'll do this in our church sometimes. We'll have prophets come in and they speak God's word. It's an incredibly encouraging, amazing thing. I remember when I was 17 years old, there was these great words uh, spoken over my life about the great things that God had called me to do. And guess what I got to do the next day after that prophetic anointing service? I got to go back to the white throne ministry that I told you about last week. How many of you know what white throne I'm talking about? There's some throne rooms in here. They have men's on one, women's on another. 
right? It's the white throne ministry, cleaning toilets. I got to go right back to the field because God was still doing a preparation process. Come on, God is going to always bring you through a process as he's working what he wants to work in your life. And so David is anointed king, but he goes right back to the field, right back to, the, to what he was, his duty, right back to what he's doing. But we pick it up in 1 Samuel 17. It says in 1 Samuel 17, verse one, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damum. And I'm not I'm reading the Bible. I'm not cussing, just so you know. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And then they played a really manly game of Red Rover, Red Rover, send your guy right over. <laughs> because it says, Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. Now, yeah, bring, we have this guy. I think he's playing basketball for us this year. Goliath was a champion at this time in history. One of the things you would do is you'd have your champion come out and taunt, and then the other team would send their champion out and they would do individual combat. And that was to basically decide whose God is going to be stronger and who, who's going to really carry this battle. And it was kind of that, that's how they worked this. And so Goliath comes out, he's over nine feet tall. Now you're thinking, okay, this is mythology. Maybe you're, you're, you're looking at the Bible. You're like, this isn't possible. This isn't true. Well, actually, um, there's actually documents from Egypt at this time in history that corroborate the fact that there was this race of people that we would call giants because there aren't really nine feet tall, nine foot tall people walking around just everywhere. They're called the Anakim or the Rephaim. They have, and I won't go into all the background of this, but actually e Egyptian documents from this same time actually corroborate that there were individuals of this size and stature. So people will say, well, actually another manuscript says he's six feet tall and that's still really tall. But actually, I, I believe he was at over nine feet tall, just like it says. And so Goliath is a big mamba jamba. That's the Greek original. It says he wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. If your armor is a person, yeah. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. It says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Who wants to volunteer to go fight nine foot tall guy? with big arms and legs and armor that weighs as much as a person and he's ugly and mean. And it goes in verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, and we met him in the last week in the story, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time and had eight sons. It says his three oldest sons had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. Goes on to say, for 40 days every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. And, he, and it says that his brothers were there with Saul. Now, what's happening here is that every Israelite family is responsible to provide taxes and feed the army that's out in the field. Okay, 
So we pay taxes to support our armed forces, but we don't have to actually like pack up a backpack and fly to Afghanistan, which is good, right? We just pay through whatever, you know, every month it comes out, but it goes to the armed forces. But at this time, there isn't a currency that they can exchange. So it's like bring physical goods and bring them to the army and keep the army sustained out in the field. And that's what's happening here is David is bringing supplies to the army. That's why his dad says, take these cuts to the captain and, and to his brothers. So it says, so David left the sheep and he goes uh, over to the camp where the enemy is at. It's about 14 miles away from where he lives. So he has to hike all day to get there. And he gets there right as they're leaving to go to the battle. Uh, it says, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks and David hears him shout his normal taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And, the, and these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, and I want you to hear this part here because it matters, okay? Heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Now, this is interesting because if you remember last week, David was actually anointed king of Israel in the midst of his brothers. So let me just tell you right now, when God puts his hand in calling upon your life, other people don't like it. Because you think about this, when Jesus was doing his miracles and when Jesus was stepping out into who God had called him to be, people said, oh, that's just Joseph and Mary's son. He's a carpenter's son. Who are you to basically be preaching this message, Jesus? To the point where even in Jesus' hometown, it says he couldn't do very many miracles, could do no mighty miracles because of their lack of belief, their unbelief, because they were saying, we know who you are. Eliab's like, David, what are you even doing here? And he says, what about those, those few sheep you're supposed to take care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. And it goes on in the next two verses to say that he asked some more questions and his question was reported to King Saul. The king calls him over. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul, verse 32. I'll go fight him. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. How many of you know you're not attempting something big and in faith if somebody doesn't say, that's ridiculous? There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. And also, he's nine feet tall. But they don't, they don't bring that up. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. 
And we'll kind of come back to that and, and look at this in a second because it means something. It says he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. And this is where the story gets good. So everybody lean forward. He says, am I a dog? He wrote at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. I don't know what he said exactly, but it's priced down just like that. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Yeah, I think I heard that being shouted at the game yesterday, back and forth. He says, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Red Rover, Red Rover. <laughs> and everyone assembled here will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Now, lest you think that David was out there with like a little $2 slingshot, you know, this was actually a weapon of war. It's about a three-foot leather strap that these guys were so good with. It says the Benjaminites, who were all left-handed, they could swing their, their slings and they could hit at about 300 feet. They could split hairs with stones. So when you talk about somebody who knows what they're doing, David isn't out here just like, <laughs> you know, shooting little sling rocks. It's not what he's doing. He, he knows what he's doing. And he has this sling and hits Goliath right in the forehead. A stone sinks in and he knocks him out. He falls to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, the giant sword. And it says David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now, I know we tell this story in the nursery, but we probably shouldn't <laughs> because there's actually multiple, there's a decapitation happening on him. It says when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David, this is an interpolation added from later. It says, David took the Philistines head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent because Jerusalem isn't even in the possession of Israel at this point in time in history, but it's added later to explain where Goliath's head is at so the readers of this later could go look at it if they want. As Saul watched, David, you're like, hey kids, what are, we're going to go on a field trip today. What are we going to do, dad? We're going to go look at that giant's head. It's a little rank, but you know. It says, as Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that God, you'd speak to us today through your word in a mighty way, that God, we would leave here changed and challenged by what you want to share with us in this moment. God, we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I want to give you a truth today. It's better to be called than qualified. 
you're way better off to be unqualified. You're even better off at times in life to be disqualified as long as you know that you're called by God. And you say, well, how do I know that I'm called by God? You're breathing. What, what is your qualification that God wants to use you? What is the evidence of your calling that God wants to use you to do great things? It's the fact that he created you. Because God doesn't do anything by accident. One of our mantras that we say here all the time is that you were made what? On purpose and for a purpose. God what didn't make a mistake when he created you. Therefore, there's purpose infused into your DNA, into your, your bones, into your breath. God made you for a reason and he wants you to discover it because once you do, when your identity and your destiny come together, something pretty amazing and dynamic happens. But listen, it's better to be called than qualified because if you're qualified in your own strength, then it's always your battle. But like David is able to say, this isn't our battle, it's God's battle. It's not about my qualifications as a warrior. I'm a shepherd boy. It's about God's calling upon my life. It's better to be called than qualified. And I want to share just a couple of thoughts here today out of this passage. And I know we read for a really long time. Thanks for being patient. But I wanted to give you this whole story because, because as we look into it, there's some really incredible things. It says, in ver if you look at verse 28 and uh, verse 33, and let's go ahead and throw those verses up there. Go ahead and put verse 28 up on the screen. It says, but when David's oldest brother, Eli, that's too big for me. I'll read it right here. <laughs> heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, right? He says, David, why aren't you with the sheep? Now, this is a brother of David. It sh he should be for him, but he's not for him in this moment. He's jealous. He's upset. He's calling David prideful and all this kind of, all this kind of stuff, even though he knows there's a calling on David's life. And then we go into verse 33. Go ahead and go to that verse right there. Verse 33. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine. And what are they saying to him? You're not qualified. You don't have what it takes. You, you just wanted to see the battle, David. David, you're just a boy. You can't fight this giant. He's been a man of war since his youth. And what they're talking about is qualification. And you know what David says? He doesn't say, no, I'm, I'm qualified. I can do it. I'm the one. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm called. It's not about me being qualified. It's about me being called. God has a purpose for me and God has a purpose for us that he wants to accomplish. So it's not about my qualification. Pastor Jake, I couldn't, be, I couldn't lead a joy group. I'm not qualified. Good. Are you called? Pastor Jake, I couldn't, I couldn't have a family that serves God. And I, I couldn't be a person that owns my own business. Pastor Jake, I'm not qualified. Good. Are you called? Because God isn't concerned with your qualification. He will qualify you after he calls you. God will work his process in your life. And I'm not talking about, hey, we don't need to go to college. We don't need to do anything. We just need God. I'm not saying that. Not anti-education. I'm not anti-qualification process. I'm not anti-experience. What I am saying here today is that your calling is more important than those things. Ultimately, it's your calling that will get you through. And I want to give you this truth today. Number one, your calling does not depend on other people's faith. Your calling is not a matter of other people's faith. It's about your belief in what God called you to do. If God called you to go to the mission field, then that's what God called you to do. And it doesn't matter who tells you that you're ridiculous or that you're full of pride or whatever. Come on. Your calling doesn't depend on other people's faith. Listen to this quote by Pastor Ferdy Cabling from the Philippines. He said, I've discovered over the years that rarely is God's calling announced so clearly and loudly that all the skeptics around you can hear it as well. 
Wouldn't that be great? This is my beloved servant, Nathan, who is called of God to do great things. And everybody hears it all around you, your coworkers, your family, your relatives. You know, G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies because often they're the same people, right? Sometimes it's the ones the closest to you all around you that are the quickest to tell you that you're not qualified, you're not good enough, you don't have what it takes. But listen, they don't hear the call of God because God isn't about, it's not about you getting their vote of approval. God wants you to listen to his voice of approval in your life. Come on, this is gonna help somebody today. Rarely is God's calling announced so clearly and loudly that your skeptics can hear it too. Your calling does not depend on other people's faith. David had to learn this lesson. Number two, God's been preparing you through a process. In verse 34 through 37, David talks about the process. He says, I was up there, Saul. I was up on the mountain and I was guarding the sheep. I was doing my duty, doing my job and lions and bears would come. And when they came, it was my responsibility to protect my sheep. And so I would grab the lion by the beard and club him to death with my, my club, my shepherd's. Th- that's pretty beast mode right there. If somebody was like, I think I could handle this because I've battered down a lion with my bare hands and a stick. You're like, I did that too. I mean, I guess whatever. It's not that big of a deal. David had been going through a process. He didn't show up at this battlefield all cowed and, and freaked out and, 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 and like, oh, I guess I'll, no, no. God had been preparing him through a process. See, listen, the struggles that you've been going through, don't be so quick to run out of the struggles and just try to avoid all struggle. Understand that perhaps God is working process through your pain. God is working a purpose through your process. David had been going through a process that prepared him for this moment of destiny to be unleashed in his life. God has been preparing you through a process. Number three, You can't achieve your destiny wearing someone else's armor. Saul says, okay, David, you're going to do this thing. You're going to step up and fight Goliath. Okay, fine. We're going to let you do it. It says he consented. You want to go out there and get slaughtered for everybody? We'll have to bring the next guy out. But sure, I guess if you're set on it. But he says, let me give you my armor. Let me put we put my armor upon you. Now, listen, a lot of scholars believe that what Saul's actually trying to do is take credit for what David is going to do. Because what he wants is, he wants, Saul is always concerned, if you read in the scriptures, with what do the people think of me? So if he puts his armor upon David's life, what he's doing is he's saying, well, I gave him my armor. So if he kills the giant, he did it with my armor. We did it together. David and I were on the same team. Does that make sense? And, and so he's giving David his armor. He puts him in his armor, gets him all, 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 you know, decked out. It's like the, whatever, Nike armor or whatever that he gets. And David is like, I, I've never worn this before. This isn't me. This isn't what I'm called to do. And so he rejects the offer of someone else's armor. And he goes into battle wearing the anointing and the calling of God and who God had made him to be. See, if you think, well, you know what, Pastor Jake, I'm not like you. I, I can't do the things that you do. That's absolutely right because you're not me. And guess who can't do the things that you do? Me. And people go, well, no, the things I do aren't as good as what you do or whatever. No, that's not true. You see, when you are wearing your armor, who God has called you to be, your personality, your gifting, and then you go into battle, you can do great things, but not with my armor and I can't wear yours. 
Come on, God wants to root out comparison, insecurity, and jealousy, looking at other people, thinking they've got it and I don't have it, and this person's, they've got the personality and they're an extrovert, I'm an introvert, or they're an introvert and I'm an extrovert, and I've never read a book the size of a house. So I, how could I do, you know, what God's called me to do? But it's not about that. It's about wearing the armor that God gave you. Now listen, David, he says, no, I'm not going to wear this. I'm not comfortable wearing that armor. And in one translation, it says, so David went into battle armed with the weapons of a shepherd. And I love this because David said, though my weapons to other people don't look as good as this bronze armor. And they went through great length to describe Goliath's got his shaft as, you know, the spear is a weaver's beam and it's 15 pounds and it could destroy a human skull. And he's nine feet tall and he's this massive giant. And all David gets is a stick and a sling, five smooth stones. But David was comfortable because he had been prepared through a process and God made him who he was. Come on, somebody. So you can't achieve your destiny wearing someone else's armor. And David, when he embraced who he was in God, when he embraced who he was, the, what God had been preparing him through this process, he was able to achieve a great victory. Last, number four. This is my favorite point that I've ever had in a sermon ever in my entire life. Number four. Go ahead and put it up there. No one asks for your credentials when you're holding a giant's head. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Let's pray. Okay. <laughs> I love it in verse 57. When David comes up and Saul's like, who is this young man? Who's his family? Because they need to exempt taxes, right? And he's like, okay, he made a little bit of an impact here. And David comes up and it says, and he was still holding the giant's head in his hands. Can I tell you what? They don't say, can I see your paperwork? <clears throat> Are you qualified? <laughs> you know, <laughs> a little bit of spine hanging out the bottom. When you're holding the giant's head in your hand, nobody asks to see your credentials. Come on, when you step forward into the destiny that God has been preparing you for, you're connected with your identity. You're not insecure. You're not worried about wearing somebody else's armor. And now God has given you victory over your enemies so that God's people can have victory. Come on, you don't need credentials. Nobody asks to see your passport or your driver's license. You can just say, this is pretty much all the introduction that I need. Is this giant's head. It says later when David was on the run, and we're going to get into his story even more, but there's a moment where David needs a sword and he says, go to this place because that's where Goliath's sword is at. Go and bring it to me. There is none like it. And David literally carried that giant sword for the rest of his life. He held, had the sword of a giant. So here's a little guy with a giant sword. And every time somebody looked at him, they remembered that's the giant killer. Do you want me to tell you right now what freaks the devil out is when you're not worried about qualifications, you don't wear the right suit coat or have the right Bible with the right leather thing or whatever. And maybe people have always doubted your, your qualification, but you show up spiritually with giant's heads. You're like, this was my addiction. And I, and I, I hit it with a stone, knocked it out and cut its head off. And I've got it right here. Come on. When I was lost in darkness, that's what it looked like. You see that right there with the spinal fluid flowing out? Addiction, it got its head cut off. Come on, somebody. Oh, can we see your paperwork? No, I'll show you this. You know what I mean? Who is this person? It's the person carrying a giant head around. My marriage was destroyed. It was broken, but through the power of God, it's been restored. And now I'm walking around carrying a giant's head. Come on, come on, somebody. Come on, let's get excited today. 
oh, but I could never, I, I can't be who God's called me to be. I can't do what God's called me to do. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Maybe today, all that this word is for you is permission to have victory in your life. You see, most people are just about, they think that they're waiting for somebody else in their world, some other person, family members, coworkers, spouse, to say, you have permission to succeed. Maybe all I can do for you today is say, you have permission, not from me, but from God. Because if God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. When you kill the giant, the story changes. You don't need a passport. Come on, when you got a giant's head. And they put it on display that's why they add that verse in later, say, hey, put it in Jerusalem because David wanted everybody to know this is what the calling of God looks like, right? This is what it looks like. I don't need any introduction. I'm carrying a giant's head. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Jesus, thank you for who you are in our life. God, thank you for this word today. I pray, God, that it would stir inside of us a mighty faith. Lord, that we can break the bonds of insecurity, of fear, that we can step forward into what you have called us to do and who you have called us to be. Lord, I, right now, I just pray for that release of permission for this group of people right now hearing this word and being stirred, God. I pray that a, a supernatural release of permission to, to have success and victory in our calling and what you called us to do would be released right now in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, the, the thoughts that have kept us bound of of insecurity, of failure, of repeating patterns, of addiction, of bondage would be shattered and broken right now at the power of your word. And God, this would be a group of people that are characterized by victory, not in our own strength, but Lord, through your power and by your spirit, God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. This morning, real quick, as we get ready to end, I just want to give any person an opportunity that's here today that is not a follower of Jesus. I know we've been talking about giant heads and kind of stuff like that and cutting heads off and all that, but the greatest victory and hero story that we, that we have in the scripture is not David cutting off Goliath's head, killing him with a sling. It's, it's the story of God allowing his enemies to kill his son so that the greatest victory could be won, which is the redemption of his sons and daughters. And being a Christian is not about having perfect theology and perfect beliefs. It's about putting your faith in the fact that God sent Jesus to die for your sins and my sins and that by trusting in him, you can be made right with God. And so if that's you today and you want to take that step of faith, would you pray this prayer with me? Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I know I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me. I put my trust in you, in you alone, in Jesus' name. Amen.